Almighty God, loving Heavenly Father, you are our wonderful God and your plan is perfect. Lord, we don't understand all of your plan or very, we only know what you've revealed to us. Lord, we ask that as we read your word and think about what you've revealed, help us to love you more and to um, give you more praise and more um, glory in our lives. We ask for your spirit's work in this this morning, especially that I will uh, say the things you want me to say and not say the things you don't want me to. Lord, we ask that you will bless us all and help us to grow especially. May your spirit work in us this morning. We ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Um, in Port Arthur, back in, date written down here, 1996, in April, there was this guy who went mad with a gun and killed uh, 35 people. He shot an, another 23 people who were wounded and who um, recovered. If you had been there... Um, you would have probably been scared and tried to hide. Um, I certainly would. I wasn't there. But when we were in uh, USA a couple of years ago, 19, 2014 it was, we were in a, the village of Colonial Williamsburg. It's uh, very much like, like, I suppose, Port, um, like this, that other place. Um, in the was historic and old and old buildings and everything else. And while we were walking down the street there, some character pulls out a sword and starts attacking another guy. You know what? We weren't frightened and we pulled out our cameras. Um, it was a, a totally different situation and it was totally different context. Um, in Port Arthur, we had a, a crime that was going on and the people there involved were the criminal and the victims. And I suppose the people who were seeing all this. But when we were in Williamsburg, we were the, it was really just a role play and they were acting out this stuff and there were participants and there was actors. And uh, we were the at the participant. No, we weren't. We were the spectators. We were the um, and these guys were carrying on. In fact, there was actors all through the the whole place. I guess the context that we had in that situation helped us to understand what was going on. And one of the problems that we've got in dealing with suffering and trials, tribulations, and everything else is we keep on forgetting the context in which we're in. Um, in our life, one thing you can be really, really sure of is that you will be tempted, that you will have pain, you will have troubles, you will have suffering sometime in your life. I think that's pretty well, pretty clear. I suppose, yeah... You know, one of the things that, if we want to describe God, there's probably dozens of things he has revealed about him, himself. And we can't really know all of God, and we can't really know 
all of his character and all of who he is. But some of the things I'd like to bring up and put into a context that we think of suffering, that we think of pain, that we can think of temptation, we can think of all the things that are not so good in life today. We can talk about his holiness, his righteousness, his his, uh, mercy, his grace, but the greatest thing that we can talk about is his love. And when we start to think about that love, it, um, it helps us to understand a little bit more about what's going on in life. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The Bible keeps on telling us that God is love. And so we've come to know and believe that the love of God that has, sorry, the love that God has for us, God is love. And anyone whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Um, another verse. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. I don't know if you're getting a sort of a theme here that God is love. Um, I guess if we spent the next hour or so, we could look through many, many verses more that talk about God's love. But uh, Father God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners, that um, it was because of his love that he did so. Just a couple more. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I guess that's saying that that relationship with the God of love and God's love is not something that can be separated from us because it's not dependent on us, it's dependent on God who is powerful, holy, and able to do all things. This is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, This is saying it's not, not because of our love to God that this is all about. It's because he loved us in the first place. And before we ever loved him, he sent his son to be propitiation means something like uh, meeting the just demands of the law, meeting the full judgment of the law, meeting the full punishment or the, 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 the sentence of the law. So you could read this. This is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and has sent his son to be the one who copped the full punishment for our sins. Um, Pretty good. The context that we want to look at all of this, this this, uh, tribulation, this um, (sighs) temptation, pain, suffering, is that God loves us. If you love the Lord, he loves you. No matter what situation you're in, whatever happens, 
whenever it happens, God loves you. Sometimes you mightn't feel like it, but God loves you. Okay. So the other thing that we sometimes forget we're in this mess is that God's got a plan for us. Um, In the words of someone else, he's got a marvellous plan for your life. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not all rosy things. You're not going to be rich necessarily. You're not going to whatever. In general, what it is, is God wants you to become like Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification really means. It means changing your nature from everything that you were before you were in Christ to becoming into the image of God, becoming the image of Christ. Someone once said that, um, oh, I'll tell you about gold in a little bit. We'll get to gold. Okay, so let's look at sanctification just for a bit. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation world of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I guess there's two parts to this. Um, That is that God wants us to be counted as holy and blameless before him. And and he did that through the cross, Jesus Christ dying on our behalf. But he wants us to be as well holy and blameless before him in our nature. And that's what sanctification is. I'm going to talk about that just a little bit, well, a bit more, just so that we can... uh, flesh this out just a little bit. This holy and blameless comes in three parts. The justification. We were were sinners, fully accountable before God for our sin, liable for the punishment of our sin and going to be punished before God called him to himself and then justified us by death on the, Jesus' death on the cross. What this was is a, a legal judgment. The Father said, Ray, or what, insert your name, not guilty. And he did that not because of your righteousness, because, or my righteousness, because we're both sinners, because we're all sinners. It wasn't because of our righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. Jesus took our sins upon himself, and his righteousness was counted to us, and Jesus said, not guilty. That was justification. It's a once and uh, once and for all thing for each one of us. It happens once only. The next thing that happens after we come to the the Lord is sanctification, and that's us becoming into the image of Christ by God working in us, and us allowing God to work with in us, and us working towards that sanctification. And that we'll talk a bit more for, about that. When we finish this life and to go with to the Lord, then he is going to fully convert us so that we take on the full holiness of God. And we call that glorification. And the Bible calls it glorification too, for that matter. And so we start off with justification where, where we're counted 
as holy and righteous before God the Father. We're gradually becoming more and more righteous and holy as God works in us to sanctify us. And then at the end of our life, we're glorified so that, um, so that we are more, we are like Jesus. Someone was asking a, a goldsmith, you know, probably know that to purify metal, you shove it in a, a, a crucible and put the heat under it and all the gold bubbles away and, and the dross comes up to the surface and forms yuck on the top and they keep on scraping it off. And someone once asked a goldsmith, how do you tell when you got the gold pure or not? And he says, well, when you look at the surface of the gold and you can see your face in it, you can see the reflection. The situation is, is God is working to purify us and wants us to be a reflection of Christ. And he wants us to work towards being a picture of him so that when people see us, they will see Christ. And so we're on this journey of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. Okay, so God says in his word, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, This is a process. This is not something that happens like that. It's something that you've got, we, you, I, every Christian has to work at all the time, putting off that old self with those evil desires that we talked about in that, in the Bible verse, and putting on the new self created in the likeness of God. It's a process that we have to actively engage in. (coughs) Excuse me. Coughing is going to be a bit difficult with a mic. Um, Sanctification is deliberate, intentional and active together with the Holy Spirit. It's deliberate in that we need to freely decide to do. It's not something that you can just let it go on. Just hang on. Um, It's intentional. Um, we need to plan and plan ahead. It's not something that you sort of um, happen into. You've got to plan and be have an intent and a, a direction to move. And it's active in that you, you've got to keep on moving. You've got to do something. And it's a whole-of-life transformation. So another verse says... Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And growing up means growing, it's not become immediately, it's grow up in every way into him who is the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Um, So we build ourselves up in love and love is a, a core part of it because God is love. Being a picture of God means being a picture of love also. Um, For many of us, we think 
that Christian life is a bit like sitting in the wheelbarrow being carted through our lives till we finally die and go to be with the Lord and that's the end of it. That is not the picture that God gives us of our life. Our life is is somewhat different from that as a Christian. It is not going for a ride but doing. And um, Romans says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're being to be conf- not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And how does it happen? It happens by the renewing of our mind that we might know what is God's good and acceptable, perfect purpose. Um, how do we do it? We do it deliberately, intentionally, offering every part of ourselves to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And this is something someone said, you know, living sacrifices, the problem with them is you shove them on the altar and they're living, so they jump off again. Well, you know, that's what happens with us. So every day we have to keep on presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to God. God says, hey, this is the right thing to do. This is your spiritual worship. This is how we give glory to God. So, sorry, no wheelbarrow ride today. Instead, we have been told that we're in a spiritual war and that we have joined an army, an army of God. Um, And it would be kind of silly to send out people in the army or people put a gun in their hands or weapon of some kind and say, off you go. Um, We've got to train them. We've got to train them, their minds and their bodies according to the discipline that we want them to adopt. And this transformation process is one that, that also applies to us we're told uh, we're to fight the, the good fight and uh, to put on the whole armour of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so we've got to train. The one who directs us is God. The one who enables us is God. God has provided us with his word to tell us how to do things. He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us and to guide us, to strengthen us, to lead us and help us up when we fall. Good good image. We are part of the, the, the army of God. There's another image that the Bible uses and that's that's of that of a of a temple. And God says we are the temple of the Holy uh, of, of God. And he is building us in this temple. Now, it doesn't look anything like that, I don't think. But one of the interesting things with temples is they made, well, this one at any rate, was made of rocks. And if you think about it, you can't just get a rock and shove it into the temple, a building, and make it build and do it very evenly or, or anything else. What you've got to do is the, the, the one who is the craftsman, the 
Oh, what do you call a person who chops? Sorry, Lala. Stonemason, thank you. Um, the stonemason, the, the, the one who has got the idea of the direction in which he wants to create this thing, works at that stone, knocks it down to the shape he wants it to be, and then places it the way he wants it placed. And that's what God will do for you in your life with the things that happen around you. When you come to God, you're not in the shape he wants you to be at the end. He's got a special plan, a special place for you in his temple of the Holy Spirit. He's got a special role for you and a special task there. And he is gradually building you into that that shape through the things that go on. Okay, God's got a plan for us, sanctification. The other thing I wanted to have as a context for us to think of is that we're in spiritual war. Um, that we're in this war, we're called to be in the army of God, but who is it against? We're told it's against the princes and principalities of, of this world. Um, we get the idea of Satan. And um, this is going to be from the time of, of um, Adam and Eve right through to the time that the Lord returns and uh, Satan will be chucked into the, the, the um, lake of fire that, that this problem of this war will continue. And so, um, and indeed, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rules, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in this heavenly place, in the heavenly places. Uh, we are in a real spiritual war. And I want to tell you a brief story about a wonderful play that H.G. Um, uh, Wells wrote in, not last century, but the previous century, called The War of the Worlds. And uh, in 1938, they put a play, CBS put it on, and uh, then called the Columbia Broadcasting Network uh, System Network, in case you're interested. I'm not sure I am, but anyway. What they said was that they advertised for quite a period that they're going to have this wonderful dance music on after some time at night. And they built this up over a couple of days. And then when the uh, time came, they started playing the dance music. And they had some guy called Orson Wells. Don't know whether his relation to H.G. Wells. But he turned, he got hold of this radio play of this book. And it starts off with a lot of news announcements. So they kept on interrupting the, the, the music with News announcements. And lo and behold, it was about the Martians who'd come to Earth and were attacking, attacking Earth. And there was a number of people who believed it, but it turns out to be not very many. And, and indeed, this, this newspaper article was really advertising for CBS, but, um, but it fits well with the story the next day. The 
over in, in um, oh, I can't remember what the name of the place, but at any rate, over in Ecuador, Quito, Quito, I can't pronounce that either, Quito, Ecuador, they decided they would go one better in this story. And what they decided to do was that they'd rope the, the local newspaper into running stories about about uh, strange things seen in the, the skies. And so for the week they were putting these false messages in there. And then they simultaneously, the radio station advertised that one of the most popular bands were going to play this music at, live after at this time at night. Okay, big build-up, newspaper articles about things seen in the sky. Everyone wanting to see this really popular music group, or hear them at any rate, live on radio. Right, okay, 1939 or something like that. Radio was big in those days. So everyone's listening in here, and the, the guy who, who was the producer decided, hmm, this didn't, didn't have quite the impact back in America. What I'll do is I'll rename the people who are bringing the news items to the local mayor by his name and the governor and everyone else and the police and various other people and they started interrupting this live broadcast with these announcements of news of the Martians and what they're doing and crossing over to the mayor and crossing over to the governor by name Fake, fake people acting like that and, uh, and, and speaking. It wasn't really the governor. But just about everyone was fooled. The army, the uh, police force and the fire brigade all rushed out of the city, all went in to where the, the Martians were going to invade or were invading and... Uh, Somewhere in, when the radio station heard this, they started to say, hey, hey, this was not real, this is a story, this is a play. And people got real upset about this and went and burnt down the radio station and burnt down the um, newspaper. And because the fire brigade was out, <laughs> six, six people got burnt to death in that fire. The, um, the producer took off to Venezuela or somewhere or other, another country, and never returned to, to his home country again. You know, Satan has been scripting information to this world since before the fall and all through um, the history of this world as we know it. The people who don't know God are slaves to Satan. They are open to what he says and listen to him, follow him and present the information that he wants. Um, Jesus was talking about Satan to some people and he said he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You know, the real sad thing about this, uh, 
And why aren't you coming up, please? We seem to have lost the link here, better than right. Sorry? Yeah, here we go. God said, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The people who don't know God are stuck in this situation. They listen to the things that Satan has propagated, put out as propaganda, things about evolution, about sexual freedom, marriage equality, feminism, it's all about me, um, you name it, if it's against God and against his plan, it's because Satan is using that as propaganda in this world. During the Second World War, and uh, in particular, the armed forces made it uh, a punishable offence if you listen to the propaganda of the enemy. Well, God doesn't do that for us, but one of the real problems that we've got, although we are not slaves to, to Satan, because Jesus Christ freed us from that slavery, we sometimes listen to what Satan says. We may not fall for all of the the lies and trickery, but particularly in the area of temptation and pain and suffering, those are areas where we can start to, because we're in a, a... a difficult situation or circumstance, start to listen to what Satan says. Because he wants to, to pull us away from God. He wants us to be ineffective. He's got a, God has got a plan for us. Satan doesn't want us to fulfill that plan with our lives. And we need to uh, recognise when Satan is doing this. And one of the things that God has given us is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which he has given us his Word, God has given us his Word, and that's what we should be paying attention to. But more than that, we should be bringing out that Word and using it against Satan when he starts to say something. Do you remember Jesus when he was um, being tempted in the desert? Satan would say something, and Jesus would reply the Word of God. This is what God has said. And Satan had tried something else. God would say, this is what God has said. That's what we are supposed to do with the word of God. That's our sword. That's the thing that we use um, to defeat Satan when he comes against us. We need not to listen to the propaganda of Satan, but indeed to uh, be prepared to fight, put on the whole armour of God and know the word, which means hey, we've got to read it. More than that, we should remember it, try to, so that we can pull it out and use it when we need to. The, we now, in the last sort of 10 minutes, going to talk about how this fits out in suffering, how, we, um, how, how this works out. Suffering, if you look up the de- 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 dictionary, which I did because I wanted better definition, is the state of undergoing pain, distress or hardship. It's, it's, It's hardship. It's pain. 
it's the situation we're in. I would love to spend the next hour or so talking about temptation. I'm not. But Satan does use that. Um, And I do want to mention, but even without Satan, we have got enough inside of us with regard to uh, lusts of the flesh, the pride of life, and, uh, and I've lost it. Yeah, but at any rate, we've got enough in us that would lead us to sin if we allow it. We've got to keep on looking to what God would have us do and keep on handing our life over to God. Okay, so... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Wonderful, wonderful uh, verses of hope and comfort for us when we are in trouble, when we have pain, when we have suffering. And all things, as Steve would say, in this case, all things mean all things. All things. Everything, cancer, death, that, that um, disaster that has come upon us, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, uh, for those who love God, this isn't for those who don't love God. In fact, everything probably, just about everything, works for harm, particularly if you look in a, a long-term perspective. If you think about eternity and, and, and what life is about, then you'll start to see that money and uh, power and position or anything actually has, can be used for good or evil. When Satan gets hold of it, it leads to bad. And if you look around, you'll see plenty of that bad. Um, the other part of this, for those who are called according to his purpose, what's God's purpose? Well, he's called us to be ambassadors for Christ. He's called us to be royal priesthood. But most of all, he's called us to be in the image of his son to, and to change. Okay. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also pretended, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Exactly what I was saying there. We need to intentionally, deliberately, actively seek to learn and trust God and rely on him. And as we do that, we will be conformed to the image of his son. Okay then, when's suffering is enough? When's enough enough? This is a mess. Enough, I want, when is enough? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shredding your blood. Um, doesn't sound like a joyous wheelbarrow ride through life to me. How long should we endure? To the point of shedding our blood and beyond. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross in our behalf. For it, it is discipline that you have to endure. God, sorry, it is for discipline that you should have to endure. God is treating you as sons. God says, you know, I want to change you. You think of that army. If, if they are not taught discipline, they don't learn self-discipline. They don't change to be the people that the army needs them to be to do the work that the army calls them to do. In life, in God's discipline, he wants to change us that we might be the people that he wants us to be, to be changed so we can do the work that he wants us to be, but most of all, so that we can be like Jesus. He says, you know, if you weren't my children, I couldn't care less. And you think about how much we care about the people's children, wherever. Um, Our own children, we care particularly about. And we will train them and look to train them because we care about them. We don't want to see bad things happen to them. We don't want to see them in jail. We don't want to see them in drugs. We don't want to see any of this. God says, Therefore, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, What are some of the ways that God produces steadfast enough through some of these trials? Or how how does God use these things, the pain, suffering and everything else that happens in our lives to help mould us to be like Christ? Backing up here, I just want to say something I probably should have said at the beginning. I haven't got a clue why God arranged his world the way he arranged it, why we have pain and suffering and everything else. You know, Joseph said to uh, his brothers when, um, when after Joseph had been sold into slavery, raised to the second highest place in Egypt, and uh, his brothers came along begging for grain um, and didn't know that he was really Joseph, Joseph eventually revealed himself after all of this and they were petrified. And Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Now, I don't know anything else too much about God's plan, but I know that the evil in this world is not God because God is good. And I know evil in this world is really from Satan. God uses that in some way for our good. Um, Is God not sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. But in his plan, he's got a plan to bring all things in heaven and earth under Christ as Lord. And in the process of that, he wants us to grow. And, and that's where I have to rest. You know, um, there was talking about repentance. Jesus said, as a throwaway line, as far as the Bible is concerned, 
You know, you think about those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell upon and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. For, for people, and he was talking to the crowd when he, uh, and people around him, those 18 whom the, the tower fell on, I very much doubt whether, whether many people knew them at all. They probably just knew the news reports about this. And they were not different from anyone else. I, th- I believe God, Jesus, was saying there, you know, you think about this. In this world, there's pretty nasty stuff. All of it is evil. And if you don't do something about that, all that evil will come upon you. You will likewise perish. Do you really want that evil in your life? God is holy. God is good. God is loving. God is kind. Wouldn't you prefer that than an eternity even without that goodness of God? Um, I think he's saying that you, those people need to turn to God or else they will perish for eternity. Okay. And so part of that means that we confess our sins and, and, and keep on turning to God. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will cleanse us of all sins, or cleanse us of all unrighteousness. As I keep on saying, this is the rat translation that, that I come up with that stands for Ray's awful translation, but um, you'll get the sense of it. Reliance. For we do not want you to be unawares, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia. This was Paul who said this. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. Paul was saying, you know, this, his life was a total mess. He got to a point where he couldn't do anything. There was no, it looked like this was the end. And finally he had to say, I depend on you entirely, God. And he says that this situation was such that, that God had play, allowed this to occur for him that he might realise that God is faithful and that he is powerful and is able to help in that situation. And indeed, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead did indeed help Paul in that situation. Paul continued to trust God and eventually Paul was martyred. But uh, did God abandon him at that time? No, he didn't. He brought him to glory. He brought him to the reward that he had been working towards for so long. And so this verse reminds us that we can rely on God and look to him. Um, Righteousness. He disciplines us for our good that we might share 
his holiness. That's God disciplines us for our good, that we might share in God's holiness, in Jesus' holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I tell you, it's not good sometimes. Sorrow, pain, suffering is not, a, is not joyful in itself. The joy that we have in, in this situation is the joy in closeness to God. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained uh, for it. And so us depending on God, stopping to rely on ourselves, looking to God for strength and everything else, trains us in righteousness because our righteousness can only be in God and it's when we depend on him for our strength and direction, our leading, everything else, that we become more and more like Jesus. Reward for this light, momentary affliction, life, cancer, back pain, death, uh, I don't know what. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond comparison, before, beyond our greatest expectations, we are being prepared for this. God says, for those who overcome will be given a crown. You know, we have salvation through our Lord God. We are counted as righteous through our Lord God, through his death on the cross. We are counted holy and we're being asked to grow. And God says, for you who overcomes, for you who runs the race and wins, for you who doesn't turn back, you will be given a crown. And um, for us, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's also a reminder. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for us. So our suffering is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in death. Jesus suffered on the cross on our behalf. Whatever suffering we have just gives us a little bit of taste of what he did so that we might say to him, thank you, thank you God for dying for me. Thank you for coming into this world to live your life according to Father God's rules fully so that when you died on the cross you were sinless and could take the punishment of my sin instead. Pretty wonderful. Steve Adams says just letting you know something rather I just lost the message, but um, I might tell you what Steve says, but it was a greetings to you all. Um, that's as much as I got. That thing is, yeah, let's go. So we're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's two parts to this. Work out your own salvation. We have to be active, intentional, deliberate in our 
working out our salvation. We are to be reading God's words, finding out what he, he would have us do, listening to him, being directed by him, being strengthened by him. We are to work out our own salvation, recognising the holiness of God with fear and trembling by ourselves? No. For it is God who works in you. And you see, it's not you working for your salvation. That was in Christ. That was full and complete. It is you working for your to become the image of Christ. I'll have to go that way. To become the image of Christ. You working to take on his character by deliberate obedience, by deliberate sacrifice of yourself to God, by deliberate intent, actively, every single day. But you're not alone. The Holy Spirit was given to you as a seal at your coming to Christ. But more than that, a comforter, a strengthener, a enabler, and one who will help, and one who will direct and give you um, direction in your life, help interpret God's words. It is God, the Holy Spirit, but God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. What's his good pleasure? To do the work that he's calling you to do. Don't know what that is. It's good pleasure. Let us close in prayer. Almighty God, you are God, wonderful God. It is according to the riches of your glory that we ask that you will grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power of work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.